yes, on a midday Wednesday. Coop, how you doing, man? We are live, according to hip hop. We are live. We are live. Welcome, everybody, into the room. We got a lot to talk about today. We're really going to just be wrapping up 2021. You know, it's December 15th. We're in the midst of, you know, getting the yearbook completed. So we've just been backlogging the whole year. Want to give people's input on some things that they would like to see in the yearbook so we're not missing out on anything. Um, man, I just randomly came across the Full Horseman album that dropped in June. I didn't even know it dropped. And the Full Horseman is Killer Priest, Cannabis, Corrupt, and uh, Rise Cast. And I listened to the project. Man, I'm putting Corrupt in the hat for Lyricist of the Year, man, because Corrupt is spitting. I didn't see that one coming. I mean, when I saw that lineup, and I remember back in the day, I think it was on the Cannabis album, um, the BC album, his sophomore album. They had a song together. And, mm-hmm. you know, back then, Cannabis was kind of the the most hyped, right? But Corrupt in that group, even then, was the one that was proven as a songwriter. Everybody else is just dope spitters. Corrupt's always had that reputation as a dope spitter, but... He also has songs and, you know, we can freak it. He got, you know what I'm saying? He just dropped The Streets as a Mother. It's another dope album that I loved in that time period. Um, I, I think he got short stopped by the fact that 2001 came out, what was that, like the same week or a week apart? Same month, definitely. Crazy. So, yeah, man, I want to give Corrupt his props, man. I know we were talking about people's who people whose um, voices have aged well over the years. Man, Corrupt sounds great. All of those guys sound great on the Four Horsemen Project, but Corrupt really stood out to me in a way where back then, you know, shout out to Harry with the Super Chat, 999 with us, man. Um, shout out to everybody coming in the room. P. White says, what's up, fellas? Man, um, I'm going to let you talk, Coop. <laughs> we were talking offline about album of the year stuff for 2021 and you were putting together the top fives and all that what's your top five hip-hop albums of 2021 and in your opinion how does it compare to the top five albums of 2020 i mean before we do that i have i have a corrupt comment right quick <clears throat> go for it um you know behind the scenes I told you, you know, you named some MCs when we were talking about Ross Cass and we were talking about how Patchwork came to be, Patchwork Studios came to be down here and the story behind that and mm-hmm. Ross's involvement in that. And you named some guys and I was like, well, I never considered those guys to be on Ross's level lyrically as far as the West Coast MCs are concerned. But Mike, you didn't name Corrupt when you named those people and Corrupt yeah. is the guy that I would put there with Ross Cass lyrically and here's the difference, Mike, and you already spoke to it. Well, Corrupt's a proven song maker, too. That's and probably why I didn't mention Corrupt. You know what I'm saying? And and you looked at him differently yeah. than the other guys you were mentioning because you're like, well, Corrupt bringing something different to the table. But as far as he just made bar, New York, New York. But as far as bar for bar spit game, too, Mike, right there with Rass. And you're right, Mike. Not enough work, I think, to be thrown in the top five because, you know, almost all his work is on this album. But I will tell you this because the album was released in June. I mean, I've listened to the project, too. It's a pretty dope project, actually, Mike. And so, again, it's one of those projects that I think is literally, was it 2021? It's 22 years too late. If that yeah. same project came out in 1999, 
it would be held super high. So probably might be the most slept on project of the year. We were definitely asleep at the wheel, you know, because this came out in June. Yeah. But also, too, I got to go through Corrupt's verses because there's probably some top 2025 verses in there. Didn't you hear that? He was spitting, man. It was crazy. Yeah. 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 He so, sound like he sound like corrupt from um, All Eyes on Me. Mom made up. And shout out to P. White with the super chat. He said, "I agree. Great content. Um, people are appreciating the content. We appreciate y'all and y'all input with the content. We want to get y'all input in the content today because again, Coop and I are putting together this 2021 yeah. hip hop yearbook, and we want to make sure that we ain't missing anything, man." Yeah, I love these shows. These are the For the People shows. Definitely, man. This is like the People's Choice show right here. Right, more more or less. So you want my top five rap albums to kick things off? Yeah, to kick things off. What are your top five <laughs> hip-hop albums? And, and you just, also said in, how, in relationship also after that to 2020's top five, correct? Yes, because I know you put together the 2020 list as well. And, um, you know, I just kind of want to get your opinion on that. I'm going to give you my top five uh, hip hop albums of 2021, and anybody in the chat can do the same thing. But I want to yeah. hear from you though. Okay, uh, the first thing that I want to say is that my two through five is pretty much interchangeable, in my opinion. If you were to put number five at number two, I wouldn't be mad. If you were to put number three at number two, I wouldn't be mad. If you were to put number four at number two, I wouldn't be mad. But clearly, King's Disease Two is the best rap album this year. Okay, and it's a clear number one. That's rare that that happens. Usually that speaks to a down year, but a competitive year and still clearly number one album. So actually deserves extra marks for that, for for it being clearly the best rap album in in, in a really dope rap year. It's not 2020, Mike, but but it's a good it's a good follow up year. I I want to piggyback off of what you just said, because I do feel like between you and I, Pray for Paris was a hands down. But there was a point when we even debated amongst ourselves, was it better, was uh, From a King to a God from Conway, was that possibly better than Pray for Paris? Especially when he put out the deluxe version of it. That really made us start thinking. Um, And Alfredo was also such a close one there. And I know when we put the post up on According to Hip Hop, a lot of people picked Alfredo over Pray for Paris. Um, I, mean, I think it's the I think it's the MC. I think that's yeah. the thing. Again, yeah. we were talking yeah. last week about the fact that Freddie was rapping his ass off, and I think that I think that how do I say this? I think Westside made the best album that Westside could make with "Pray for Paris." How, you, you know, how about this? It's like Mike and I told you this of all the albums. That came out last year. I listened to Alfredo the most, mm. but objectively speaking, all things being considered, you know, I thought Pray for Paris was still put together better. And wow. also, too, part of what made Pray for Paris so beautiful was the contributions. Gibbs was one of those important contributions to Pray for Paris. No, exactly. no, no, the way it was put together. One, like 500 Pound Ounces, isn't that one of the five or six best songs on, on a classic rap album? That's- oh, definitely. Pray for Paris yeah. is different, man. And like we said, like in a previous episode, it feels like we've had this album for years because it yeah, sounds so classic. It doesn't feel like it's just a year and some odd months old. People just don't like like it's just put together differently. But it's yeah. like I told you, if you told me from a king to a guy was better, or Alfredo was better. I can't necessarily knock that because here's what it did. Had both of those albums have over Pray for Paris, they were better lyrically. Mm. 
Because so, the MCs were better. It's Conway and Gibbs. And I think that's where a lot of people lean on. But I think that's kind of where it makes this Nas separation a little bit more. Because Nas is Nas. Greatest well, MC of all time in many people's eyes. And he put together a, a great project. And so well, that's really tough to contend with. And the fact that he did it at this point of his career. Um, I mean, and it's an end-to-end play. It is. Hey, Mike, can I say something right quick? Go I'm ahead. one of those guys that lean on lyrics, and I still put Pray for Paris ahead uh, of From a King to a God Now Fredo. Like, I did that intentionally because it's like I'm the guy that usually gives the lyrics the advantage. I'm about to do it today. <laughs> DeCarlo sends a super chat of nine ninety nine. Appreciate you, DeCarlo. He said, what up, fellas? I appreciate the content you guys put out. Also, it's my birthday. Let's turn up. Turn up, DeCarlo. Happy birthday, brother. Yeah, happy birthday, family. We appreciate you. We should be like super chatting you or something. It's supposed to be the other way. <laughs> right, right. It's the other way around. Send us your cash app, man. We bless you real right. quick. Somebody, somebody must have hit DeCarlo with a C note early. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good looking out, man. DeCarlo, what's your favorite hip-hop album of the year? And uh, what is your top five? And I know DeCarlo, and I remember uh, you know, you're constantly in the show. I know you are an Eminem fan. We're going to get to that Eminem topic about Talib Kweli basically saying in a roundabout way that Eminem outrapped Nas on uh, EPMD2. We're going to get to that too. But anyway, um, so you got King's Disease number, I'm sorry, King's Disease 2 at number one. What do you have at number two? So Mike, in the end, I think the most striking thing about the Nas album is, is that he took tracks, him and Hitboy made tracks that didn't necessarily when you first heard them, sound like Nas tracks and he made them in the Nas tracks and he made them dope. Like 40 Side isn't a record that's usually a dope Nas song. That record's dope, Mike. 40 Side rides. Mm-hmm. The versatility the on there is impressive. Yeah, like the agility and the skill set, the full skill set is on display in King's Disease 2. It's like, no, the songwriter, the introspective guy, the baller, the tech guy. His delivery is updated. His voice is still intact. He sounds fresh. It's, it's not missing anything. It's Hit Boy's best production job. It's the best stuff lyrically he's spitting over a decade. You know, I think the impressive part about it, too, is the fact that a lot of the things that we've always said that Nas wasn't the best at, he, he does very things. well on here. Yeah, Mike, why, like, 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 why KTV still sounds like his record? I don't know how he pulled that off. He could not pull that off early on in his career. He yeah. could not take a record like that and make it his early on. Well, you know what I've always felt about Nas? I've felt that Nas is such a writer and such an MC's MC. And you kind of see it with a lot of his earlier stuff when you think about Deja Vu and, uh, you know, and that verse being on Only Built for Cuban Links, Verbal Intercourse. I feel like Nas had like this book of rhymes and he was placing his rhymes with yeah. production. And you're going to get different results when you do that. And I think with Hit Boy, the production's coming first. And then the rhymes are coming on top of that. At least it feels like that. I don't know what their process is. But as far as like how he's able to uh, blend in with the production in ways that he hasn't done in years before, I think that they have more of a producer-MC relationship where they're kind of creating and building together as opposed to Nas coming to a producer with a book of rhymes trying to fit some rhymes over a certain beat. You know what I mean? Right, because I think early on in his career, it's like, well, he had so many great rhymes already written. Right. Like, he had so many legendary rhymes already done. It's like, no, 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 no. You got to get those out. However you need to get those out, 
get those out. And I think what happened, and I think this probably started not with Hit Boy, but probably with Salah Remy on um, on Godson, is because you can hear on Godson, like it's one of his best projects. But people understate how comfortable he sounds on that album for the most part. Even though some of the records don't come off as well as they do on King's Disease too, he's still very comfortable on there. So I think Salah did a lot of what Hit Boy did first, which is kind of lay the track and then let Nas rhyme. Like, no, 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 what you got for that? Because I think the prime example for that is Death Row East, Mike. Like, like when I hear Death Row East, I hear that Hit Boy made that track, and it sounds kind of West Coast-ish, which is what put Nas in the vibe to write the story about Pac. Like, he put Nas somewhere and inspired mm-hmm. him. Like, Nas doesn't get inspired easily. But when he does get inspired, Mike, you hear the results. You hear Made You Look. Yeah. You hear Death Row East and Store Run. You know what I'm saying? I agree with you. I think him and Salah Remy kind of got that magic first. But they, I guess maybe because of the times we were in, oh, the he, didn't really good, get, he didn't really get the opportunity to do whole albums with Nas like he, you know what I'm saying, like he should have back then. How about if, if, if you were to look at the tracks that Salah did with Nas, then look at the tracks that Hit Boy did, it's like Salah would probably have the first two records. That would be Made You Look and Get Down. The next eight records would belong to Hit Boy. Miss Amilla, shout out to you. Sent a super chat of um, eight uh, euros and 99 cents. And uh, she said, big up uh, from Brixton, UK. Big up to the UK. We love oh, y'all. Brixton. Yeah, Yo, yeah. So, so Mike, so Brixton is like uh, the uh, <clears throat> what I would call, I wouldn't call it inner city side, but that's where we be at, Mike. Well, shout out to Brixton, man. We we got to cover some more UK hip hop, man. I've always told Coop, man. Like, I feel like I we have to be in somewhere to cover it righteously. I don't want to sit there and cover uh, the UK hip hop scene from Atlanta. Like, we got to get over there, oh, see my. what's going on, and talk about it. And we would love to interview some artists from over there and just. So we can find out what the scene is like, man. I love the fact that everybody's doing hip hop from any and everywhere. Yeah, Mike, you got to catch the vibe because you want to know it. Hip hop still has a look and a feel that's universal. I was mm-hmm. on a train in Paris once and a DJ walked up to me and just started talking to me just because he like could look at me and tell I was related to hip hop in some sort of way. Wow. Like had a whole conversation with me. We traded info like and all that. So like hip hop is real everywhere. And let's get him on the show. Of- yeah. Let's get him on the show. Yeah, but I feel like the Nas and Salam Remy did have that chemistry first. And I used to give Salam Remy a lot of credit for being able to produce Nas well. I think Major Look was one of the shining moments. Godson actually just celebrated an anniversary too. What, what was that? 20, 19 years. 19 years. That was 2002. And, um, you know, we were asking people on the YouTube channel, like, what was their favorite song, Godson? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, Major Look hands down but there's a lot of quality stuff on there i loved uh last real nigga alive for a minute that was actually my favorite song from all the back and forth between Nas and jay anyway oh really that's interesting that's it was i mean i like the way Nas approached it uh he told a story he talked about you know just people chasing the crown and the fact that he was there uh he's the last real nigga alive when it comes to you know big pop Jay and Nas. And I mean, that's where he was going with that. You know what I'm saying? DeCarlo mm-hmm. says his top five is uh, KD2, Hitler wears Herman's side B, Chump 2, Bo Jackson, and Call Me If You Get Lost. It's a really okay. very good list. 
Go ahead with yours. That's a great list. All of those albums fell in my top 10. We rated Hitler Wears Hermes just by both sides of the way West Side asked. He said it's one project, so we would prefer Side B to Side A. I believe Side B is a top five project, but if we're just weighing it by itself, then it's a top 10 project and not a top five project. Yeah. So, so I think we've waxed enough about our album of the year, Mike. You want to hear my two, three, four, five? Yeah, 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 definitely. Two, three, four, five. Uh, Mike Door Die Two is why is, I placed that number two, and I'm I'm gonna tell you why is because it's hard for a rapper that's been in the game this long, that's not a superstar to make an album of this quality. So I kind of placed Do or Die 2 ahead of the albums that I feel like were just as good as it because I felt like the degree of difficulty was harder and he pulled it off. You put Do or Die 2 ahead of Hitler Wears Hermes. Sorry, yes, Amy. because it's a more... Because, Mike, I'm like you. I like end-to-end players. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give the end-to-end players some love. This is a dope end-to-end player, and lyrically, he's as precise as anybody in the game is right now. Mike, he's one of the, he's one of the contenders for lyricist of the year. He I'll has some that. of the, he has some of the best verses of the year, Mike. Okay, okay, I'll give you that. All right, but I said my two through five is all damn near interchangeable. So at number three, I have the house is burning by Isaiah Rashad. Okay. That's probably my gem this year, Mike. I love the house is burning. That's at my number three, also. Right. My number two is different than yours. Yeah. yeah. But Mike, like, <clears throat> when, okay, so for people who are our age bracket and older than us, when they talk about younger MCs and not respecting the craft and not respecting just like the generation of MCs that came before them, well, well there are no issues about that with this guy. This guy respects the craft, respects prior generations. He's doing his own thing. He can spit his ass off. He's been able to spit his ass off, Mike. And yeah. and and now he's finally putting it together and making a not good album, Mike. Great album. This album is great. The I House feel of like shot is great. I think I told you offline if Kendrick Lamar and I say Kendrick because this is a um, you know this is a TDE release. If Kendrick Lamar would have released the same album that uh, Isaiah Rashad did with the House Is Burning, people would be talking about album of the year. Album of the Easy, Mike. Easy, Mike. Uh, we would be. How about this, Mike? If if Kendrick Lamar were to re- release the House Is Burning, we would literally be arguing every week about that versus KD two for Album of the Year. We would have been doing that every week. No, the House Is Burning is dope, and House like you said, he's dope. spitting. He's. It's like he has his own style and own lane. Like you said, he respects the things before him, but he's not trying to duplicate anything. Uh, like he has his own thing and. And he's carving it out very well. Well, yeah, he's carving it out well. And shout out to TDE man for being able to, um, you know, see that there's an artist from Chattanooga, and be able to cultivate the works and continuously, you know, having him improve what he got going on. Like, yeah, this this is the type of album, Mike. This is how you get fans. It's one of those albums. It's like, oh, I knew who he was and used to check for him a little bit. No, no, no. Officially a fan now. Now everything that he drops, I'm going to want to hear. It's one of those albums. It's like a currency drop pilot talk, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I was just listening to Address the other day, man. I love that record. Yeah. Yeah, man. 
Nah, no. Isaiah Rashad dropped a very, very dope album with The House Is Burning. And yeah, I got it at my number three as well. Yeah. So um, after that, I have Sky Zoo's All the Brilliant Things at number four. Okay. I mean, Mike, there's just a, it's just a great rap album, Mike. Shannon Williams says, uh, my top five for me is uh, KD2, uh, Florin 2, uh, Off Season, the Rick Ross album, and Chump 2. I want to get to the chump too. Uh, we're gonna to talk about that too. Yeah. Now I, I'm with you on the um, Sky Zoo. I got Sky Zoo at my number two. I just thought that the production and the brilliant lyricism and the fact that he kind of took this album on himself, I was very very impressive to me. And again, it was an end to end play, and it was one of those albums that, like, once you put on, you're not taking off. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a move. So can I tell you something though? And, and 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 this is like a splitting hairs thing. And this is why I had it at number four as opposed to two or three. Mm-hmm. I thought lyrically him and AZ were right there, but I thought AZ had a couple of more highlight verses, just a couple more. And, you know, I, I agree so, with that. I agree with that. I think AZ had a little bit more help help than him. So Mike, that's probably why I went the other way. Well, Mike, well, also, too, it's like he also he had help, Mike, but he also performed extremely well with the help. And so I'm going to tell you what, Mike, I would have liked to have heard. And, 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 and I know this is going to seem this is like some head stuff I'm about to say, Mike, I would have liked to have heard Love the Genius and West Side Gun on Sky Zoo's project because beat wise yeah. and concept wise, I saw him doing some things where I felt like if he was going to have some guest appearances and I'm bringing him up because he's worked with them before. Like this yeah. is one of the first guys to really work with Conway and Westside before people really knew who they were. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. I I'm think him and love Scott. work really well together. Him and love. Right. The thing is work really well. Yeah, him and love sound beautiful together. So one of my favorite records on there is like something to believe in. Like I thought love on that record would have been flawless and like put that like in song of the year, like contention possibly. Um, and, and like I said, he has a prior relationship. So I just would have, when you put it next to the house is burning, I feel like the house is burning is better produced production and beat wise. Okay. And I feel like AZ performed slightly better lyrically, even though some of that was with help. It's like, well, you know, he had help, but he still held his own by himself and he still performed well next to the help. Cause it's like him right next to Conway and Wayne rejuvenated. You didn't, he didn't miss a step. Huh? That's yeah. the best MC in the game right now. And that's a legend. In his own right, Maz standing right next to them, going bar for bar. Like you're not missing nothing. Like you're not skipping Maz's verse to get the Conway and Wayne's verse. No, no, definitely. You know, uh, I you said the house is burning was better produced. I think of at least my top five, the house is burning might be the best produced of all five. Mike, actually, I, I was actually about to hit you with something. I think the house is burning is the best produced album this year. I think it is. I think yeah. it is. If we're talking, because when I mean produced, I'm talking about executive production, right? Engineer, the actual production of the beats. So it's like if we're going beat for beat, production, engineering. Yeah, Mike. Okay, so you got KD two at number one. You got um, AZ's Do or Die two at number two. You got uh, the house is burning by Isaiah Rashad at number three. You got Sky Zoo's All the Beautiful Things um, at number four. Yeah. Um, lastly, and, and here's the thing, Mike, even my, even the, the one that I slid to number six, and this is literally the second straight year I'm sliding one of his great projects to number six, Mike. I put Call Me If You Get Lost over Bo Jackson. I went and listened to both of those albums mm-hmm. back to back. 
And here and here's why I gave AZ points, but I also got to take some points away from Bowlby for this. Well, it's like, well, call me if you get lost. The highlights on call me if you get lost, they belong to Tyler, with the exception yeah. of one Wayne verse. The rest of the highlights belong to Tyler. No, on that's both Dex and Mike, it's a great album. It really is. But Mike, the two biggest highlights on the album for me, they don't belong to Boldy. They belong to Gibbs on Fake Flowers, and they belong to Rock Marciano on Photographic Memories. Broke generational curses with my cursive. Yeah. <laughs> Rock's a killer, man. Yo, <laughs> Freddie killed that shit, though. <laughs> like, like, so did Rock, man. I mean, oh, that, yeah. You know I'm a big Rock Marciano fan. Yeah, yeah, Mike, you're, you're a bigger fan than me. So, like, yeah. when I'm saying that, Mike, I was like, as soon as I heard that verse, I was like, yeah, the Gibbs verse is a verse of the year contender, but Rock's verse is one of the best verses of the year. I think and I'm so, going to go listen to Emeralds after the show. Okay. <laughs> it's crazy. So, so when your two highlights on a great album come courtesy of, of your guest appearances, and this other guy made a great album that's comparable, and he's, like, clearly the star of the project, and, and, and doesn't have the alchemist, <laughs> well, right. Well, you know what? Let me go through some of the people in the chat in their uh, top five. So we got SD21 says Nas, AZ, Sky Zoo, uh, ASAP Rock, and Sims. Oh, uh, Mike, we, Mike, I, ha- I haven't listened to the ASAP. And that's my fault. People keep telling me to listen to the ASAP and saying we got to listen to it. The ASAP Rock? Okay. Yeah, uh, they said we need to. They said this is better. Yeah, I've been hearing. I, I've been hearing a lot about that too. Uh, no, Don Gomenary says. Um, Don says Katie too. Tyler Cole Hitler West Hermes uh, Part Two Eight Part B I guess and Isaiah Rashad. Uh, K Thompson says Katie too. Call me if you get lost. The off season. The house is burning. Vince Staples says top five. And then we got um, Katie two. Hitler West Hermes Eight. Uh, Little Sims. Coop DeGrace and Bo Jackson. That's from uh, Joe Bros. Huh. Let me go to my top five real quick. Go ahead. I got KD2 at number one. Uh, at number two, I got All the Beautiful Things from Sky Zoo. At number brilliant. three, I got, uh, I'm sorry, all, beautiful. all the brilliant things, excuse me. Um, number three, I got Isaiah Rashad, uh, The House is Burning. Number four, I got AZ Doa Die 2. And number five, I think I did what you did. I got Tyler's Call Me If You Get Lost. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know some people would ask about Chomp 2. Bo Jackson, you already covered that. All right, listen, my thing with Chomp 2 from Russ is just it's just so collaborative heavy. Uh, I think it's a very nice listen, but it's hard to actually – you know, give it credence over people who held down their own project. Um, right. And again, and kind of like what you said with the AZ thing, I don't think there's a song on the Russ album on Chomp 2 where he outshined his feature. And I think that's important when you're not the producer, even though he is a producer, which makes it tricky. I would have viewed this project different if he produced the whole thing. Okay, so Mike... <clears throat> What do you think of uh, Conway's album Lama Kina? I thought it was good. I, I don't think that it gave us the replay value that From a King to a God did. I, I no, felt no, like it was a warm-up. Yeah, so, but but what I'm saying is, is, is that, <clears throat> so how do you feel like the features on that album went? Because he had some pretty tough features on there. His mm-hmm. artist on there, Love and Jay Skies. Mm-hmm. James is on there. Luda's on there. J.I.D.'s on there. 
What do, I mean, so I think it was interesting. It was an interesting West Side right? and Benny, West Side and Benny are on there. But what I'm saying is, is, is that Conway still owns those records. He does. You know, you know I was gonna man, go Hitler wears Hermits eight at six, and see, my debate was Tyler or Hitler wears Hermits, and I feel like, and I know, I know, saying what you're talking about right now, but I feel like, and I wanted to address this. I feel like. Hitler Wears Hermes 8 has more, like you said, standout records. But Tyler has standout records too. Again, it kind of, my list kind of comes down to people holding down their own project. You know what right. I'm saying? And and it's uh and I know we're in a collaborative heavy time, and I think it's great to be collaborative heavy, but it's hard for me to put a project that's collaborative heavy when you're not a producer per se like that's this is different than the chronic a chronic 2001 it's hard for me to put that over a project where somebody held their own like tyler was the star of his album right so i have hitler wears hermes eight at number seven after bo jackson so and you know what the same thing can be said for the bo jackson and hitler wears hermes comparison because uh you know right that's why I have it yeah. at number seven, because yeah. here's the thing. Baldy Mike, held his go, own. Mike, I, I said it when we reviewed it, and I've said it since. Oh, there's not one album that has the bangers that side A and side B on Hitler Wears Hermes 8. Like, if we just, like, Mike, if we just go in the best eight to ten songs, if we were just going best eight to ten songs, oh, it's winning that. Yeah, yeah, they got Vogue cover, Westheimer, Spoons, Bash Money, Hell on Earth 2, 99, Ava Rex, Free Cutter. Uh, Michael Sanders <laughs> says, Mike, how can I get the hat you're wearing? Uh, you can go to according to hiphop.com and then just go click the shop button and it should be on there. Pop up shop. I think this hat's on there. We're good looking out. But yeah. Ma, 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 I'm sorry, Molly Molly says performer of the year, Jadakus. What do you think about that? So <clears throat> Mike and I were talking, I think we were both in the car earlier when we were talking and I was just telling them, it's like, like, <clears throat> and this is, and, and, and this is like, Jada's having not even an MC moment. He's having a culture moment where he is reinvigorated and regalvanized a sentiment that lies within the belly of our culture. He's brought it back to the surface with his performance. And so if she's talking about performer of the year, oh, well, hell yeah, because what he invoked for this culture with one performance, Mike, it's like, it's Tupac-like how he just gravitated and shifted things. Well, yeah, he definitely changed Versus, right? Like he changed the whole I mean, he, approach. He changed, of yeah, he changing the makeup of things. Yeah, and um, that's hard to do when you don't have an album out, Mike. I mean, and as a matter of fact, I mean, it's like it's not like we haven't heard him this year. I mean, mm -hmm. he's on arguably the hip hop song of the year, Black Illuminati with Gibbs. I was going to say that's arguably the best rap song this year. He has a whole lot to do with that. Do you, you think know? there was a missed opportunity here? Because I know Jada dropped early last year and he dropped the Locks album last year. Do you think after the verses that Jada should have maybe threw together maybe eight songs, boom, put them out there? No, no and I'm going to tell you why. Because he's handling the situation the way an icon should, not the way a new artist should. 
he's handling it the way an icon should. He's like, yeah, yeah, give me flowers that I know I've already earned, not let me go put something out. He don't have to put nothing out because what he's been saying all the time is like, no, I'm Kiss, I'm top five dead or alive. This was the first year that him saying that felt like legitimate on some sort of level. And so he took that moment in and you know who I would, should do that. When you say that, you know who I would compare him to as we talk about like NBA legends? Because I know we do a lot of uh, hip hop uh, NBA correlations and analogies. He's kind of like a Jason Kidd, right? Where he's able to just control the pace, stay consistent, and even if he's not part of the highlight reel, he is there. Like, he's always effective. No, Mike, I think that's an accurate assessment because I think the thing about Jason Kidd is that people complain, well, it's like, well, he can't shoot that well. It's like, well, he does everything else Hall of Fame well. <laughs> well, if, before he retired, I think kid. he was number three in three-point right. shots made. And, number, so. and he ended he's up right. being a solid set three-point shooter at the end of his career. And yeah. so... Much like Jadakiss, the knock on Jadakiss is like, oh, well, he don't have those bangers or those hit records. It's like, well, he does everything else Hall of Fame well. Right. Uh, right. I remember when uh, Jason Kidd in the latter years, I think this was, he was in the, he was playing for the Knicks after Dallas, after he won with Dallas. But yeah, you know, the Knicks have always been discombobulated, especially in the uh, Carmelo, um, J.R. Smith years and all that. He got on that squad. They were a playoff team. They looked different when he was on the court. The stats weren't showing it, but it was some different things going on when Jason Kidd was on the court. It was it was really a floor general, and that's exactly what Jada did that night in Madison Square Garden. He galvanized that whole situation. It wasn't really about the records. It was about him mostly. I mean, the records Mike. were there. He outperformed. Uh, he outperformed Dipset himself. Or can't. Cameron had to jump out and be like, look, man, I need to take on the rings of this. Mike, ask any Duke fan about Jason Kidd. Has a freshman in the second round the year after we had won back-to-back national championships. We played Cal in the second round, and they were talking about this freshman point guard named Jason Kidd that could be a problem for Duke. He ran Bobby Hurley's ass off the floor yeah. that day. As a teenager, he was like Hall of Fame caliber then. Let's just quick Jason Kidd story. Like, like I've known about Jason Kidd since that game. Like he ran, he ran him off the floor. It's like that guy's the first pick in the draft, like whenever he wants to come out. And that was with Grant Hill on the floor that day. When did you say that uh you thought Jadakiss had his breakthrough verse? Was that Reservoir Dogs? No, Blackout. Blackout, Blackout. yeah, yeah. yeah. DMX's second album. DMX's second album. I used to have bad luck. Now you might see me in a Jag truck, mad stuff, either with a dime or a bad duck. Double RT with the matching bandana. You know, Money, Power, Respect, I know that that was really DMX's breakthrough for me. But Jadakiss' verse was crazy on there, man. I sneeze on tracks and bless you. I'm special. And if and you, if like you like working out, out and I'm going to stretch you. Hustle on this day, but we still make bread here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Try to figure out who the locks is. Keep yeah, no, he head. was lyrically the best on that song, but that's that effect of X, too. When X came on, it was like, go ahead and wrap everybody up. Put them in a bag. <laughs> this is a beat that I can freak and just drop the real. Bless niggas. Ew. Y'all niggas know my skills. X, real. Hit him up. Hit him up. Yo, that verse is, you do dirt, you get dirt. Trick, click, step back like I did work. Thinks fucking game. You think we playing? See you land. Yeah, that's hard to match, man. Like, 
When he's bringing the, that energy and that intensity. It's the energy. Like, it's the approach. Like, X never really been, I guess, we, by New York cool. standards. He's never been lyric lyricist, no, lyricist. But he was, been, very, right? he was very Tupac, uh, uh, Scarface-ish in the way where he was able to make you feel what was going on. He's a person that we leave off of that, um, you know, I guess, filler music type shit, like with Siegel, Scarface, and Tupac. Um, he, But he's right there with that. He just had the ability to make some hit records that, you know, Scarface and Beans didn't make in that era. Yeah, he, he he's something different in that sense that yeah. it's like he's not a uh, a a plus lyricist, but he's a dope lyricist. Oh, definitely, he could take he's it not, there. He's telling right, you right. his story, you know. Right. He he writes a good in depth song, but not as good as Scarface or Tupac. Like so, he was always somewhere, but he put all those things together and made like great music. Uh, what did you think about, you know, I don't want to jump around too much because I did want to get to one of these comments and everybody's, you know, blowing up the comment section. I like Kay Thompson's comment. He said feature of the year was Wayne to me. Individual feature or just featured artists? Okay, so inside information, I think Wayne is probably going to be our feature artist of the year in our yearbook, most likely, Mike, because the work is brief. It's also stellar, Mike. Like, he's everywhere. Shit. He's on AZ's album. He's on Tyler's album. He's Showed on out. West Side's album. Showed out. Showed out on all three of those records, Mike. Like, those three records are alone enough to give him guest appearance artist of the year. Like, that's His how weakest they, feature might have been on Drake's album. His what? His weakest might be on Drake's album, right? My guy, Borderline, forgot about the feature. I forget about Drake's album, period. It, uh, listen, are we... Are we gonna do most disappointing album too? Are we doing that? We throwing. We don't need to do. We don't need to do that in the year, but I don't want to put that on print. Are we gonna throw shade and publicize it? I don't know. I don't want to put that in print, but we can talk about it here. What do y'all think is the most disappointing hip hop album of twenty twenty one? Um, I might be going certified lover boy off the top of my head. Either that or the Meek Project. Or the what project? Uh, I was going to say Meek Mill's project. But, um... I, would, I, I would think Meek's project probably because <clears throat> I think Drake's project might still be... They're on the same level to me, but Meek had more of an opportunity to do something new and to take his following somewhere different. And so I don't think he capitalized on what could have been a potential moment. I don't like how, and I know they just did the performance, and I don't know if you saw the the Kanye and Drake performance, but I don't like how it seems like Certified Loverboy, the album, marketing-wise, was basically picking back and off of Kanye. You know what I'm saying? Like It didn't feel like that album was marketed in, to stand alone. It was in contrast. Like It was almost like they created this fake quarrel for promotional purposes. Um, let it go. You were at the you were at the Don the Listening event in Atlanta, the first one. And you saw the real energy that was out there and how people were excited to the energy that was created, right? You saw this is what the people came for. They came for some music. They didn't come for some bullshit, whatever, whatever. You know what I mean? And regardless of how you think about the project Donda, 
he was able to jumpstart that energy just on his music alone or just his presence and his legacy alone. It felt like we didn't get a release date for Certified Lover Boy until Donda got a release date. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mike, the most impactful moment for me about going to the Kanye event was actually walking in and out and seeing the masses of different ethnicities and culture that were downtown in Atlanta to go see Kanye. It was, you would have thought Prince or Michael Jackson was still alive and in town by the diversity. Not yeah. by the mania, but by the diversity. It's like, who the fuck is in town? Is Prince in town? Is Michael Jackson in town? Sade? Janet? Like, who, who here? Right, right. It was like that, Mike. I ain't never seen a rap show go that way. Because clearly, even with the, you know, the Larry Hoover tribute, not tribute, but uh, benefit concert, which I think is great that they're doing a great thing with that. It was clear that these guys have love for each other and admiration for each other. And that's awesome. But why drag this out? We don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, we don't, first of all, we don't need back and forth in this culture anyway. And especially if you ain't got no real, real problems like that. This just felt like very manufactured and very industry. And it feels like, once again, a Drake album doesn't have the music to stand on its own. And it's interesting because this is like the biggest artist and probably music. And so for that reason, I might have to say it is the most disappointing not to mention the features that are on there. You know, uh, Jay-Z has a feature oh, Mike, on but, there. But, but Mike, when you're saying disappointed, though, what has he given you recently to think that this project was about to be succinctly better than what he's been giving us the last four to five, six years? That's a like, fair point. I'm saying, when you're saying disappointed, it's like, well, in order that, for there to be disappointed, there has to be some sort of expectation. I think the expectation is being based on stuff that was done more... Eight, nine, ten years ago? I think the expectation is based more on numerical stats and stuff. And I think it kind of well, undershot those things, too. Well, that's, well, that's why as a hip-hop artist, it's important to kind of like, like, Mike, you got to play the game, but you can't embed yourself with that too much if you're in it for the long haul. No, no, because the numbers are going to be different. They're not always going to stay the way they stay. No, 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 because what I'm saying is, is that, like, you know, being legendary is being legendary, and there's different ways to be approaching it, but in this business, the best way to be legendary is to make classic material and to be a great MC. Who's number one this year? That's somebody that played the game and sold some records, but then, like, their timing came, but they just kept on making records, and then they started making great records again. I think you know, when, I think when um, the biggest artists in music or in hip-hop, I think we could definitively say, like, the numbers are what they are, right? The current biggest artist in hip-hop, when they drop a forgettable album, we have to mark that as disappointing, right? I guess, but that's what I'm saying. It's just like big the who, because now we have to talk about where we're taking this culture and who we're letting dictate the pace, because it's like, well, if he's the biggest artist, what's saying that other than the numbers? Because I don't hear people saying that. I don't hear people in the street being like, man, I can't wait for Drake next shit to drop. Well, it's, like, I hear it's interesting. talking that way about... Mike, I hear people talking that way about Kiss right now. I hear people talking that way about Gibbs. I, that's interesting you, you say like, that because we were just talking about hear, you. And yeah, I, people be like, yo, like, yo, when that new Drake drop? I'm like, niggas don't be talking to me about like that. No, I feel you. And see, I'm glad that, you know, you went out there and you saw 
what Kanye was able to bring out just on the fact that he said he was going to present new music. Could Drake do that? I know what the numbers say, but that that's just numbers. That might not be real life. So you're right. I mean, I think Kanye's still the biggest artist in hip-hop. No, he is, Mike. Drake's not going to have that type of diversity at his show. He's probably going to have a lot of women at his show. It's probably going to be more women, but it's not going to be as diverse as Kanye's was. Like, mm-hmm. You know, I say about, you know... Even the, even, even the diversity in the class... Classes of black people, Mike. Like I seen the nerds and the gangsters. Yeah. Like the jeans was out and the nerds was out. I was no, like, oh, everybody was everybody. About, yeah. Okay. The thing is, man. Like, um, it's kind of like um, um, I've man, I lost my train of thought. I'm sitting here reading some of these comments. Michael Sanders said Cooper's a genius. Yeah. I mean, listen. I think that. <laughs> We look at things on a numeric standpoint sometimes when we talk about who's the biggest artist and a lot of that's manufactured, but you can't manufacture what you saw that night. And I, I, I regained my train of thought. I know what I was going to say. My thing is, if Drake was really able to bring out what Kanye was able to bring out, he wouldn't have piggybacked off of Kanye's album. He wouldn't have went out there and did this... Um, this concert with him or none of this stuff. He would just do that stuff on his own. So just like I've always felt like about Jay, right? Like if Jay didn't need Dame and Kareem in the, at the beginning, it would have just been him. <laughs> like, Easy. Yeah. We know how you get down. It's, yeah. We already yeah. split the pot three ways unless there was a necessity to. That's not how he rolls anyway. Right. Any he's opportunity to, to cut out the middleman, he's going to do it. So I don't like when people try to, you know, discount what they brought to the table. Obviously, they were necessary. He would have just done it himself. That's fair when you say that. That's the pressure that the game applies, though, because when you're comparing Drake to Kanye, oh, Mike, I don't think Jay or Nas could have did what Kanye just did either, though. And so the comparison, comparing anybody to Ye in that regard right now, probably isn't fair, Mike. You get what I'm saying? There's the levels biggest. of shit. There's levels to, to certain things that numbers don't dictate. And like Ye's stadium flow in this hip-hop sphere is unmatched. I've been telling you that, Mike. You've been making stadium music since... Um, graduation. What's the one? Late registration? Late graduation. Registration. Like, He's he been on stadium flow since graduation, Mike. So he's been hitting masses of people that don't belong to hip-hop like for a minute and making them follow us. What do you think that... Um the notion that Drake is the biggest artist in hip hop is going to continue, or you think that's done? It's diminishing, or what? See, that's what I'm saying. Is like Mike, who, who, who's saying that? Other than the, I mean, Mike, who's saying that? Other than the media publications, that's not us and the powers that be. Like, no, who's that's saying that? people that nobody, nobody that belongs to this culture is well, saying you know, that. But you know what? It's one of those time. things, no, though. No, Mike, I can remember like when um, I can remember when Thank Me Later later came out. Oh, I can remember people talking about Drake a certain way and checking for him a certain way then. You feel what I'm saying? It hasn't been that way but in people, a long time. People talk that still like he's all-time great. You know what I'm saying? You know what it reminds me of? No, that, that, that's <laughs> You know not what it reminds people. me of, though? Like, that's not people. No, but this is what happens. When, when the publications and the mainstream media just similar similar to the whole Marshall notion, right? When they continuously say these things, you get in the barbershop and then somebody will go out there and spit somebody's name without any basis for even saying it. 
And I think Drake is kind of like Marshall in that sense, where he's he's been inputted into a conversation because mainstream publications and mainstream media has told people that, yeah, this guy's one of the greats. He's one of the greats. He's one of the greats. I think that he's just as much of a pop artist as Eminem is. That's just my opinion. No. Who's more pop? Eminem or, or Drake? Come on now. I mean, that's what I'm saying, Mike. I mean, so when you're saying that, like, Drake makes records for this community and for this culture. Okay. Does he not? He he gets on some. I don't know if Tootsie like, as far as getting, I mean, as far as getting on some, that shouldn't even be... You know, like, cause he got like Aston Martin music, Dice Pineapples. He's got the Wayne stuff. He's got the he, he he does stuff for this culture, so it's a little different. Even if it's pop, it's pop for this culture. It's very. It's, it's one of those. It's a slippery it's slope, pop, right? It's pop, pop for the rap sphere, though. He's probably been the first one to tangle that slippery slope this long. But you the know slippery slope is the fact like, that okay, I've made crossover like, like, records. Like, like hot in here by Nelly wasn't like no 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 rap shit. That's like some rap kind of gone pop. Like, is it not? That's fair. But I think so, what Drake has been able to do that Nelly didn't do is okay. I'm gonna have these crossover this. songs, but I'm also gonna go work with this person and insert myself in this situation. Let me insert myself in the Versace with Migos. Let me insert myself in the Aston Martin music. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, what records would you say that he just jump-started that were for the culture like that? Like, started from the bottom or something? Like, like, I don't know if that's fair, because I can recall this artist named Busta Rhymes that kind of took a similar path once upon a time by just bum-rushing other people's shit and getting loose on it. You but that? it still had Wuha. You know what no, I'm saying? No, no, before, but I'm just saying, like, Drake has done this while he was already, you know, an established he might, artist. He came into the game, though. That's what I'm saying. When you're saying that, he kind of came in like that, though. He kind of came in contributing. You know? Yeah. It's kinda, like, here's the thing, Mike. If I was like to make a Drake's greatest hits, it would probably be Drake on other people's records. That are my favorite records. Have you heard the notion, the Drake era? Right? Like, when did that happen? <laughs> see? I mean, that's a real thing. I mean, I, I know, um, I think it was Charlemagne on The Breakfast Club that was saying that the Drake era is over. And I'm like, so what exactly is the Drake era and where does that start and end at? Like, I'd say, so at what point? Did he like supersede Kanye on a star level or Kendrick on an MC level that I missed during the entirety of his run? Because they were there during the entirety of his run, pretty much. And Kendrick's a big star, and and Kendrick's made much better projects. It's not even a question. It's not even a question. Uh, And I don't think anybody's going to tell you bar for bar that Kendrick's not the better MC. Um, I don't know, man. I think that um, somebody with that much hype around them and those many resources, I think when they drop a forgettable effort, it has to be considered disappointing. But I think we're thinking of disappointing on a different standard, right? You're thinking about disappointing like this person didn't didn't come through with what they could have been able to come through ability-wise as opposed to... Um, 
expectation wise i don't know those are kind of similar things but yeah it's hard to describe no i get what you're saying so mike here's what i mean okay you and i both like the nasir project a lot of people felt like the project is uneven Mm -hmm. when you hear the beginning of king's disease one you're like oh okay back back that's nas nas the nas that everybody want to hear on some sort of level with some new things sprinkled in. Drake hasn't done that and given you the expectation to look forward to it on that level. And so we have, like, that's why I like, like, that's why I be telling people, it's like, no, nah, we don't belong to nobody and we can just really pull up and like tell the truth because what you're really saying is like a misnomer of the truth being spread around, essentially. You get well, what I'm saying? It's a misnomer of the truth. And when I say it's a misnomer, I'm saying that in a statistical way because the numbers are being involved. And so it's like, well, yeah, if you want to put those numbers on a bell-shaped curve, he's going to get the highest marks on that bell-shaped curve. But if you look at the other people on that bell-shaped curve, Mike, they perform better than him when you look at it. You know, you just, I would like to see if, you know, Drake were to do a listening event at, um, uh, uh, I was going to say Phillips Arena, at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta and see what that crowd looks like in relation to what, see, you know, what See, that's what I'm talking about. With that's that real life. Mike, because that's the thing. Like, you can take... You can take a multitude of numbers and sets and and, and, and people going to chart differently on different graphs. So it's like if you're just doing numbers, oh, well, yeah, he's going to be highest on that bell-shaped curve. Go pack out that stadium. But, but let's go do the numbers on number of different ethnicities show up to your show. Because, like, Mike, I, I mean, just at a glance walking in and out, I saw about seven or eight different cultures going to Kanye's show. Like I saw Africans. I saw an Egyptian. So you get what I'm saying? Yeah. different well you know what um to piggyback off of that did you hear um that i think talib talib excuse me had uh belly on his uh podcast and they were talking about eminem rapping with veracity on every feature and they made the statement that eminem outrapped nas on epmd2 uh from the kd2 album now i find that very interesting because you know in my personal opinion, I think we talked about this when the song dropped. I thought the Eminem's verse was trash. Um, but it's crazy to me that <laughs> respected lyricists and somebody like a Talib Kweli who put together, I think, one of the dopest albums of the year that it came out with Reflection Eternal, who knows his lyrics. And even when the way he was explaining it, it was almost like, he didn't really believe what he was saying. But it's like, why? It's like, listen, it's okay to admit that Eminem's verse is trash. Now, if you go out there and just this and all that shit, and it sounds like a bunch of words, and it sounds like it's supposed to be dope, and it's not, it's okay to say it's not. And I think that the other part that people always put in is like, Mike, did you hear that he was shouting out all the, the legends and the greats? That's nice. But it doesn't sound good. But anyway, I think that Nas's verse on EPMD2 was highly slept on, unfortunately, because of the polarizing enigma in hip-hop that we call Marshall Mathers. And it's very sad. Nas's verse is clearly better than that verse. And Eminem didn't outrap anybody on that song. 
So come on, guys. We got to stop this, man. Got to stop this. Just because your, bar- your, your verse was 32 bars doesn't mean it's great. Come on, man. What so, say you, Coop? Maybe I'm tripping. <laughs> no, you're not tripping till it's tripping. Like, first of all, I mean, you be tripping because you be taking it too far. But he's tripping. I got to take it far. This is why I got to take it far. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> like, who does he belong to that he said that? That's all I want to know. Who do you belong to that made you say that? Who do you belong to that made you say that? Well, you belong to somebody. <laughs> I don't know who it is. I don't know what they slid you. I don't know what they told you. I don't know what game it is they playing. That's just not... Mike, here we go with these misnomers of the truth by media outlets again. And and, and just because it's coming from Talib, I'm not further validating it because Talib said it. You know what I'm saying? I don't care who said it. We do that a lot. Now, I, I want to stop you right there. I don't care. Because every time I criticize Talib, Eminem Talib from my... Next to most, Talib and most can sit next, next together right now and say it together. And I look right back and be like, well, both them niggas trip. Well, listen, listen, Coop. I want to piggyback off of that because that is the first thing people say whenever I criticize Eminem's music based no, no, no. on you my individual not talking about you right no 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 i just want to i want to insert this in because the first thing people will say well rakim said he's the greatest all right I, listen i respect all of these people and the work that they put in but just because somebody has their own opinion and they're saying whatever they're saying for why ever they're saying it i don't care that doesn't change my ears that doesn't change my ears that such and such said dude was great it's not i'm sorry i mean Mike, Rakim got on stage one time and told Baby, thank you for taking the game to the next level. What are we doing? <laughs> well, that's an opinion. You know what I'm saying? Like That's what I'm saying. Just because just because somebody famous who's verified in the sport has an opinion doesn't make it a fact. It doesn't. Like it just doesn't. You know what I mean? Michael Sanders says M's trash, bro. I'm with you, Mike. I mean, I appreciate he's that. Not, he's not trash. <laughs> and the verse isn't trash, Mike. It's the same way it always was. That verse is somewhere in the middle. Okay. Uh, maybe we've covered this before, but we just talked about Jadakiss and what he did in the verses. How would, why is it that no one's even putting Eminem's name out there for verses? Why is that? If he's so great, if he's this and that in the culture or whatever, why isn't he somebody that people are throwing his name around when it comes to a versus? That's for our culture, right? In versus for the culture? Oh, that is so murky. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. No. If that's no, what I... it is, and your shit's for the culture like that, why ain't nobody throwing Eminem's name around for a versus? No, Mike, this is one of those points where you're not taking it too far. See, this is one of your valid points where you're not taking it too far. The shit Talib's doing is taking it too far. Mike, saying that his verse is trash, that's taking it too far. Bearing up questions about why his name isn't ringing bells for a versus, oh, these are valid questions. Uh, DiCarlo says, there is an agenda to erase Eminem from the culture, and it is sad to see. You know, it's interesting you say that, DiCarlo, because I feel like I, I feel like there was an opposite thing where there was an agenda to elevate Eminem from the spot that he was at in the culture and I think what has happened as time has gone on since people have elevated him so high then that's what's knocking him down you know what I'm saying the fact that he's being elevated higher than he's supposed to be is what's knocking him down I think if we would have kept his career in perspective 
He would be just fine. Uproxx is the uh, platform that Talib has his uh, podcast on, and they are owned by Warner Music Group. So, yeah, he can't talk down on them. Like, tell Uproxx, Kick Rocks, and their connection. I think they were started by uh, the people who started Rockets Records, actually. I think that's uh, Talib's um, correlation there. And we know that, you know, there is a history with Eminem and Rockets Records. And I believe if Dre wouldn't have come along, Eminem would have been on Rockets Records. Um, You know, they've always had an interest in him. These dudes got to stop letting these... These guys trot them out like this. Uh, Miles Cage Jr. says M doesn't have the hits for verses, and that's interesting because he has sold more records than anybody in hip hop, and we're saying he has no hits. Mike, that's a valid assertion. It's not going too far. Where are his twenty bangers? That's why I'm saying when you talking about the whole verses thing and bringing up the catalog, and it's like the records that would get played. It's like, oh no, 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 run that. Run tell that. But you know what? We talk about how classic this album is and that album is. People are saying his his catalog is below average. And then where's the classic albums at and why? Valid. I'm just These saying. These are the valid things that you are saying. And I think, DiCarlo, I don't want to no say way. there's an agenda out there, this. but... The album, the album and the song critiques are more valid than the MC critiques. Yeah, yeah, I'm just kind of clowning as an MC or whatever. Like he can, he can put words together and everything. But at the end of the day, I think we judge people on catalog, right? And we judge people on staying power, and we judge people on you know just that versatility all together. But the catalog is a big thing, and if your catalog doesn't age well, then you know I think things need to get put back in perspective a little bit. And I think that's what's happening to Carlo. I don't think that there's an agenda to knock Eminem off the map. I think that his catalog just hasn't aged well. And I think that, you know, it's just being exposed a little bit more now because there are more independent outlets that are able to give different opinions. Because when M came out, there was just one or two power structures that were telling you this guy's great. This guy's great. He's one of the best. Yada, yada. He's had time and efforts to prove us otherwise. I want to see a KD2 from Eminem. Is that too much to ask? Yeah, I want to see a KD2 from Hove. Yeah. Well, you know what? We can at least say Hove has given us... Yeah, that's too bad. No, no, no. We can at least say Jigga has given us uh, American Gangster. He's given us a Blueprint 3. But... That's I, not KD2, Mike. That's not the same level. No, that's fine. But what I'm saying is he's given us efforts. I don't know, man. I think American Gangster and KD2 are very comparable. I think American Gangster and KD2 are very comparable. Uh, and I think when you talk about what the Blueprint 3 was able to do as far as hits go, I think that makes it comparable too. But Eminem hasn't really given us anything that we could really debate about since 2002. And that's just a tough sell for somebody who dropped their debut album in 99. So you're telling us that your run was 99 to 02, right? That's hard. That's that a hard sell. I mean, wasn't that about the length of DMX's run, though? When we look at X much differently. We do. We do. Yeah. And I do so think it's that really it's not, dark so, and hell so is hot. It's not about the length of time. It's about the impact that you make with the length of time. Because part of X's run, it's like, oh, no, no, no. There's It's dark and hell is hot. Flesh in my flesh, blood in my blood. And you're like, oh, no. 
put that up on the board. He oh, definitely. It. But see, I yeah. think the difference between the two of them, uh, as far as like hip hop goes, DMX changed the color of everything that was going on. Shit was shiny. Everything was fisheye yeah. lens. And really? you know, and that and that goes for the guys who were grimy before the shininess. They even got shiny. DMX came and changed all that. I don't feel like there's anything in hip hop per se that Eminem just changed when he came in. So no, I, I think that makes him and X a little bit different in that sense. No, you're right. X changed things. It's like Big said on Kicking the Door. Y'all was grimy in the early 90s. Yeah. Far behind me. It ain't hard to find me. I mean, no, that's what's beef. What's when beef? it's dark and hell is hot drop, it was like a... I mean, it was just a, a, a darkness. Like, it just changed everything. It even changed you, Jay-Z's Mike, approach. I you, Mike, that, Mike, I told you that video in the tunnel. That was everything. It changed Jay-Z's approach. The cover room walls, him and Sheik on stage, black and white. Yeah. Because if we want to keep it real, like what? Marshall dropped in 99. There was a few people working with Marshall. Like, I think what Rick Ross does right now, and you can really tell where the game is by who Rick Ross is working with. Jay was that person in the 90s. You could tell who's popping by who Jay has on his album. He didn't have Eminem on his album until 01. So that stuff in 99, 2000, it was on a radar, but not really a hip hop radar. It was more on a pop radar. So, I mean, that makes him and X different because when X dropped, and I know it's a Def Jam thing, Jay was like, we're going on tour together. We, no, I need you on volume two. No, Mike, I think some of Eminem's impact, although, I mean, so Mike, how many white people do you think were immersed in this culture the way that they are now before Eminem? Here's what I would have to say to that. I, I'm, I'm going to answer Mike, your you know, question. Mike, there's I'm a answer- correlation. Outside of a few artists, Mike, if you just look at sales mm-hmm. of hip hop, and I think oh, that's great. Around, but we would... hip hop sales it spikes overall around the time he steps in. What say you? Well, I would say, how does that make that different than what we were just talking about with Drake? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, is that the numbers that Drake does. Part of the reason they exist is because Eminem bought a whole nother fan base that wasn't immersed in this culture. But see, this is my thing. And this is kind of what I have um, been able to, you know, kind of see from an analytical standpoint working with the court and hip hop. Right. I have seen over the years that many of hip, uh, many of Eminem's hardcore fans aren't really hip hop fans. Some of them were introduced to the game by Eminem and then became hip hop fans, but many of them were just Eminem shady fans. So anything that was around that camp, they know that shit. But anything outside of it, not so much. That's the kind of fandom that he was able to bring in the game. And I'm not saying everybody, but on a large level. But that's what happens when you, you know, when you bring a large audience. You're not, if they're the person that brought you in the game, a lot of times, and, and if they don't have a hip-hop sound, they're going to be a fan of what you do more so than what the culture does. Because I no, can and, see if he was on some real rap rap shit, but it re- no, he had a very different sound than other rappers. So you can't no, expect but, but, his fans but, but, to gravitate think, to hip-hop as a whole. You know what I mean? No, but I, think, I think some of the influence that you're understating, and so I'm going to just relate it back personally. I listen to everything. But... 
me listening to everything started with listening to Nirvana's Nevermind because it changed my mind. And so because I listened to Nirvana's Nevermind, when my guy Obi and I were in Cali recording music and he's handing me the Beatles, I was able to gravitate towards it more. Right. When somebody bought me Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, I was able to gravitate towards it more. And so the impact is more in the gravitation than maybe the direct beeline. Like, well, with that example. You're not going to tell me, because how about this? You're not going to tell me that there are people who were fans of Eminem walking in in his prime that didn't become fans of a Dr. Dre or a Snoop. Uh, or an I don't know if those are guys great. That he was doing, like, you know, Royce. Like, you can't tell me some of those people didn't hear those guys okay. and gravitate to some of those guys, too. That's some of the impact and effect. I'll give you Royce. But I think with the other two guys you mentioned, those are the most crossover hip-hop artists ever. I think that for the most part, Anybody who was familiar, and that's why it was a perfect door for Eminem to step in. Yeah, anybody Mike, who they were already familiar with Dre and Snoop. Mike, there's a difference between selling four and five million records and selling ten. You want to mm-hmm. know what the difference is? Five million people. <laughs> Let me ask you this. And you said that you know uh, Nirvana opened you up to the point where you yeah. were able to go listen to the Beatles. Like, what artists that, yeah. that Eminem doesn't work with would his fan base be open to based on listening to him in hip hop. See, but that's why I go like, so when you look at it, so look at it, this is what I'm saying. Well, somebody that's an Eminem fan that maybe not, he doesn't even like West coast gangster rap might now go listen to the chronic 2001. They might hear bitch, please two on the Marshall Mathers LP and want to hear exhibit. You get what I'm saying? Okay, we're talking that's, about anything that's, that's around him, but outside right, of that... I'm talking about the circumference. He brought people into a circumference and maybe got them to listen to things that they weren't normally going to listen to. I think DMX, let's just say this. Let's just say I mean, this. I'm not so. asking questions. I'm not, I, I'm not saying it like I know. I'm asking questions because I think... No, no, bad. no. And, and, and I'm trying to correlate it with like other hip-hop artists, right? So let's say I listen to DMX. I might go back and listen to Scarface if I'm, you know what I'm saying, a... It, you know, something like that. And that has nothing to do with X, per se. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's different when you are listening to people for cosign and collaborations as opposed to their actual styles making you a fan of hip-hop. I still feel like if you're listening to everything around Eminem, you're still just an Eminem fan and not really much of a hip-hop fan. But, you know, listening to Wu-Tang... And then that turning me on to, you know, other lyricists in that area or in that arena, that's different. Or like listening to Naughty and then listening to, um, you know what I'm saying, somebody else from Jersey. I know that I, I became a real Jersey hip-hop fan with Fuji's, uh, Outsiders, Naughty, Redman, all of these guys because Jersey has a certain level of spit game. And I just don't think that the way he, the fans that he brought, he doesn't really correlate anything that goes on in the culture like that outside of his camp to make somebody a hip-hop fan. You know what I mean? No, no, no. He does do that. He did that for somebody that I know that I'm, I'm actually still dear friends with to this day. So I have a friend. And I've literally, we've known each other, I think, since I was 18, he was 19. We've known each other for a long time. Mm-hmm. He comes from, he'll tell you, like kind of jokingly, he comes from a kind of redneckish background. Okay? Mm-hmm. 
about Eminem, and I remember him telling me this, he had listened to Eminem and he's like, well, you know, and because me and him had this conversation early, he's like, well, you know, he's like, I can relate to what he's saying. I get it. Like, I know that that lifestyle that he's talking about. I have family members living that way. And I'm like, he's like, but he's like, he, but he told me that and I remember when he said this, he's like, but he's not talking about how you live. And he were like, what are the albums that are talking about how you live? And so I gave him the purple tape. I gave him Southern Playlist, and I gave him Illmatic. I think I gave him Reasonable Doubt. I gave him something else, but I gave him five CDs. And I was like, this is what the culture is about for us. But about Eminem, it made him interested in our story and in the culture. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And so now he was coming to somebody that he knew was a part of the culture and immersed in the culture and like, hey, Coop, like what it really sound like, though, sound like Illmatic, sound like Southern Player Lipstick, sound like the Purple Tape. Go and take that. Go and take these CDs. Come back. He ended up going to a Nas concert with me at the Tabernacle. Well, I've heard that. I've heard that side of it, too. I've heard it. He didn't become a fan of the other guys, but when he heard Nas, he's like, oh, no. He's like, I get it. He's like, you love this guy, and I totally understand. This guy's dope. But so what, what did that do Nas for... Fan enough to go to a show with me. Well, what did that do for... people up in there. After him being exposed to those things, what did that do for his fandom when it came to Eminem? Did it put that in perspective for him, or did he hold Eminem super high still? You know, we didn't talk about it much. Because I've kind of observed, too, where there were fans like that, where it's like Eminem brought them into the game, and then they kind of got their eyes open with, you know, the other, you know, illustrious careers in hip-hop, and they're like, well, you know, this... He used to sit in the yo with us. He got to a point he used to sit in the yo with us and critique us. He's like, you know, he's like, we're not going to listen to that. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he'd be in the yo with us. Yeah. Yeah. So he just got immersed in the culture for for a period of time, just kind of from being around me and us being close. You know what I'm saying? And I don't know if it's one of those things. I don't know if it's one of those things like Michael Jordan brought me into basketball. So he's always going to be my favorite basketball player. You know what I'm saying? And I still think he's the greatest anyway, but... I'm probably uh, very biased in the fact that he's the person that brought me into the game. And so I don't know if it's like that with Eminem fans. I'm trying to think of who is the the rapper that really brought me into hip-hop like that. Do you, can you identify the person that, like, the MC that you heard where you were like, I'm into this shit? No, Mike, it was Nas and Illmatic. I'm going to tell you exactly how it happened. When I moved to Charlotte, I think that was around the time, like, uh, and so the Wu-Tang had been out. Yeah. Strictly for My Niggas by Tupac was out. Midnight Marauders was out. My cousin was a uh, was a hieroglyphics fan, so he used to play a lot of Casual Fear Itself and Del the Funky Homo Sapien. Mm-hmm. But Mike, when he bought Illmatic, and I went and stole the tape one day, I dubbed, I think the three songs that I dubbed that made my own tape of was uh, Life's a Bitch, The World is Yours, and Memory Lane. I heard those three records and I immediately went and took his tape, stole his tape, went into the room and dubbed those three songs. And mm. that's when I fell in love with hip hop. Mm. Okay. You know, and when you put it in those perspectives and you're, you're still very loyal to Nas to this day, mind you. Um, I think Method Man might be the person for me. Like, um, like shadow boxing is what made me want to rap though. Nas made me want to be part yeah. of the culture. When I heard Method Man on shadow boxing. Yeah, man. I mean, it, he but had a few different moments. Life. I think Cream was game changing for me too. Like, 
But it was him, and I was like, yo, man, these guys are dope. I think Cream was the game changer for my cousin. Yeah. I mean, I remember hearing Cream, and I remember hearing M-E-T-H-O-D, and and yeah, when Shadowboxing dropped, and Bring the Pain, obviously, you're all I need. I was like, man, this dude is dope, man. Well, you want to know, but here's the thing, I guess, and here's the relatability. For everybody who usually falls in love with hip-hop, they fall in love with the person who they relate to the most. I think Snoop Doggy Dog is a big one too, man, but he was just so big. You know what I mean? That's what I mean. It's like, no, I was listening to Snoop, but I wasn't in love with him. Because, like, here's the thing, the stuff Snoop was talking, I couldn't relate to, but that stuff Nas was saying on Illmatic, no, I immediately could relate to that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, the world is yours. Memory lane. It's like, no, 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 no. I, I, I related. I heard somebody talking with a level of intelligence through rap. I'm like, no, I'm a high intelligent brother from the projects. That was a high intelligent brother that I heard on the mic. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So you tend to gravitate towards your likeness or who you'd like to see yourself like the most early on when you become a fan of this. You know, I think- like you who want to be fly from that era usually gravitate towards Slick Rick and Kane and Rakim because they were fly. I was 12 years old in 94. So that was when, that was back when, shout out to Jason. Uh, Jason and Luke used to come outside with like the boom box would be playing basketball outside. And Jason had all the music. So in 94, what was a heavy rotation was, uh, I think Creeping on the Come Up might have been a heavy rotation. Uh, Southern Playlistic was a heavy rotation. And so was uh, Ready to Die. I think Biggie dominated 94 in a way where, I don't think I heard Illmatic like that. Um, see, that's, see, that's a little bit of I think I had to kind of go respect. back. I had to go back and listen to Illmatic, I think maybe right. like a year but later. But when you're saying that, Ready to Die came out halfway into the year. It did. It did. I think Southern Playlistic and Ready to Die kind of just clouded that whole radio airspace in a way where I had seen, um, you know, it ain't hard to tell on your own TV raps and stuff, but I didn't. I, you know, I'm 11 or 12, like so. It was like if nobody You're around me had it, they weren't yeah. playing it on the radio. And I think that's one of the things that people don't really understand either. Like they weren't playing hip hop on the radio for a long time. No, Mike. And I mean, that door didn't what, really like, get bust open in Atlanta, at least until like '95. No, Mike. I mean, like Southern Playlistic for me was more of a comfort album at first, and even a classic album. I had just left Atlanta. I was missing Atlanta, so yeah. when I heard Southern Playlistic, it was like, "Oh, that's home." So you when know? I really got into Nas, was really it was written, and then I had to kind of go back, like, you know what I'm saying? So I'm sure that if I would have had a similar experience to you with Nas and Illmatic, it probably would have been Nas like that. Yeah. I remember, I remember, I remember my cousin who's Illmatic tape I stole and made the dub. I remember his older brother stole my tape and came back and was like, he's like, you making blunt tapes now, nigga, what you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the thing is too, man, like, I think we look at reasonable doubt and um, I guess in hindsight in a certain way, because in 96, he really wasn't on the radar, radar, at least here. I remember feeling it getting played. I remember Can't Knock the Hustle. But so Mike, we don't Mike. really recognize that brilliance of that album until volume two comes out. Like he said, man, gave you prophecy on my first joint. Y'all all laying out. Didn't really appreciate it until the second one came out. Well, here's the thing about it. Okay, so it was written, ha- happened. 
because of people like you. Everything that you just said is why it was written, got made the way that it did. No, you're right. did again. Everything that you just said is exactly why it happened because there were people like you that didn't find out about Nas till it was written, and it's like, man, you just missed half of the greatest run ever. DeCarlo has a very interesting comment that I would love to. We can make a whole segment of this. He said, "I personally like Ready to Die far more than Illmatic." What say you? Because I have a comment about that too, and I, I felt like that in my life before. Where? All right. Well, I'll start then because I already know where you stand. I think that I think the Ready to Die is possibly better produced than um, Illmatic. I could listen, listen, listen. No, I I think when it comes to the singles and warning, um, Juicy, uh, Big Papa, I think that how clean those records are and and I think Biggie's versatility kind of makes it sound like that as well. I think it's more rounded. I'll put it that way. I think that there could be an argument made that Ready to Die is a more rounded effort. But see, the thing that really hurts Ready to Die in this argument is the fact it's just one more chance. It's that one more chance remix was the one that was big and it's not really on the original. If that One More Chance remix was on the original instead of the original One More Chance, we got a really good argument here. But the fact that Illmatic was put down in the way it was put down, it didn't need to be retouched. It didn't need to be remastered. It didn't need to be re-released. I think it gives it a leg up on Ready to Die as an album. Clearly Nas is the better lyricist, but you could say that some of the things that Biggie was able to do on Ready to Die made his album more marketable. Um, he had better singles. He had more uh, radio-friendly singles. And I think that Biggie also... I think one thing that Biggie and Tupac are responsible for in a big way, they transition urban radio from R&B to hip-hop. They are the ones that did that. There were a few songs here and there where it was like, okay, this is possibly a crossover song, but... The way that Biggie and Tupac were making music, just the formula of how they were able to integrate hip-hop and R&B, they are the ones that transitioned urban radio over from R&B to hip-hop. Hold on, let's get... We got to clear a couple things up. First of all, that's really Pac, and that's Pac's formula. I agree with you. Okay. So we got to take that. Pac was there first. Pac was getting that that notoriety first. I agree with that. Like, Keep Your Head Up and I Get Around comes out a full year and a half before Ready to Die, if I'm not mistaken. So Pac was... So Biggie's formula that he integrated that you're talking about is really Pac's formula. That was really at the core of Pac's issue. He felt like he had been done wrong. And it's like, but this nigga took my whole shit, too. Yeah. Like, in terms of make a record and make it playable to the masses and to the crowd. So that was the thing. Yeah, because he that was selling thing. Biggie and on that, that approach. And, and, that, and Mike, and that is the thing that makes Ready to Die. And that's the only thing about Ready to Die that is better than Illmatic, well, it's more marketable and the singles are better made for the masses. But Mike, the beats aren't better and the rhymes aren't better and the songs aren't as classic. Mike, is there a better beat than The World Is Yours on Ready to Die? What is the best beat on Ready to Die? DiCarlo, tell me what you think the best produced track on Ready to Die is. The beat on Ready to Die is unbelievable. The World Is Yours is a better beat than Unbelievable. 
I think the world of shores is a better beat than everything already. Like New York, State of, New York State of Mind is actually a better beat than Unbelievable too. I really Same like. Thing. I really liked Warner. I really like. Um, I really like Big Papa, honestly. Even though Q Tip found that uh, loop first with the Bonita remix, but you didn't like Big Papa. I liked it. I didn't love it the way everybody else. You know who I am, Mike. I was like listening to Warning and Everyday Struggle in the what. Kay Thompson no. says what I was going to say. He said, Ill, he, he said Illmatic aged better. Dre said the bars on Illmatic are better than Ready to Die. Uh, Man Nan says Tupac didn't make radio records early for the most part. Trap, holla if you hear me, for example. Um, what was Tupac's uh, first radio record? Was it I Get Around? As far as like regular spins, I would probably say yeah, because wasn't that the first single off his second album? I'm with Kay Thompson. He said Everyday Struggle is the best uh, beat on Ready to Die. I'm with that. Um, I'm with yeah, I, yeah. Her record on Ready to Die. I think it is, too. Her mm-hmm. tech got murdered in a town. I never heard of. It's a but bitch named Alberta over Nickel Flake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the thing about you know Ready to Mike, Die, about too. This, Mike, that might be his best verse on there. But it's not a top five verse on Illmatic. It's not a top five verse on Illmatic. His best verse on Ready to Die is not a top five verse on Illmatic. So when you're saying it's not the same lyrically, it's like, no, it's not even like the same level yet. The level, said, the level that Nas is on on Illmatic, Big doesn't get to that level until a year or so later. DeCarlo said uh, the best produced track on Ready to Die, he would say, is Warning or Things Then Changed. Um, okay, warning's a whole is, is a whole like they just freak the sample, so it's like I'm not even gonna count warning as the best beat. That's what I'm saying. It's like, what did you think about the beat? The what? When the what? what? I, Mike, I told you when Ready to Die came out, listen to Everyday Struggle, Unbelievable, The What, Machine Gun Funk, Warning. You want to know what record is really slept on? Ready to Die, Mike? The record Ready to Die. Oh yeah, that's a great record. The one song that I really didn't like on Ready to Die was Respect. I like respect. I don't love it. I used to love it more when I was younger. It didn't age as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Illmatic actually aged better. But, you know, what Biggie said, what it was that right before the... Fair. What Biggie said right before um, um, the 95 Source Awards, he said that Nas got lyricist of the year, but I think I should get album of the year for Ready to Die. Well, he ended up getting both, but um, Biggie, that is. But... He already conceded the fact that Nas is the better lyricist on Illmatic, but I can see how somebody could feel like Ready to Die is just a more rounded effort. But I think time has been a lot more kind to Illmatic. And I think that also Illmatic sounds like it was it was produced and conceived in one time period, um, even with Halftime. Halftime is probably the one song that's just older. But yeah, it. You could tell the stuff on Ready to Die that was pre-Bad Boy. That was Uptown and the Bad Boy. You know what I mean? You could tell that it was recorded over courses of time. No, you could. You could hear the difference. You could hear separation in the engineering, mostly. I think that hurts a record, man. I, I think that hurts an album altogether. Like, uh, what was that? The Carter 4? Or was it 5? Carter 5. From Wayne. You could tell that that album was recorded all over all types of periods of time. I feel like in recording like an album, especially a hip-hop album, you got to record these things within a five to six window of time. And that's so crazy to say because styles and times just change so quickly in this culture. You, 
you make the best efforts when you go in there and knock these shits out as quick as you can. Now, you want to be as meticulous as you can, but you want to go in there and do a Daytona. Daytona sounds like it was created in a few sessions over a week's period of time. That's what it sounds like to me. Okay, so, you know, I'm going to say something, Mike, and, and this is something that I think a lot of people don't talk about when it comes to classic rap albums. Mm-hmm. Part of what makes a rap album classic and timeless is, is when the artist doesn't make themselves too current with the subject matter. Mm-hmm. They make themselves current with the style and the sound. Right. Your greatest rap albums, Mike, they have a feeling and a theme that lets you know what time and era it exists in, but they're currently not talking about the time. They're timeless themes on there. Yeah. It's a bitch. The world is yours. Memory lane. New York state of mind. And timeless, Mike. Yeah. Old rapper, Mike, you don't know what year Doggy Style got made. You can't tell, really. Like, you can tell the era. It's like, that could have been 92, 93, 90. But he's not giving anything in specific reference that lets you know that it's late 93. Well, not well, the Chronic does that, right, with the uh, L.A. riots. And the Chronic actually celebrating his 29th uh, birthday today. Um, so, I can remember when it came out. What's your favorite song on the Chronic? Favorite? Yeah. Little Ghetto Boy. I think that's I think that's the X Factor song on there, definitely. Gravitate to the stuff that you relate to. That's the record on the album that that's I a, related to the most. That's a dope ass song, man. I still like Let Me Ride, man. But yeah, I'm with you on Little Ghetto Boy. That's a- like, I, I, I can I can remember hearing all those records like out the window, like on Memorial Drive. That's that, that year. Like I can remember, like I'd be waking up and like they'd be playing Let Me Ride. Or he's nuts, a little ghetto boy. When Dre Day hits, that shit hits. Yeah. Yeah, that shit hits, man. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think that, you know, Q-Tip and uh, Lars Professor or whatever, they say the best, where it's like, you want to make your stuff timeless in a way where you're not shouting out the year. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You're not shouting out what's going on right now. Like, I think that a lot of artists, or a lot of hip-hop artists in the 90s, got caught up in doing some of those things. Like, you listen to Soul Food, it'll be like, fuck Chris Darden, fuck Marshall Clark, you know, stuff like that. And and I think the Goody Mob, I love what Goody Mob was doing with it, where they would talk about politicians in Atlanta at that time. It dates your material, but there's a way to do it in a way where it applies to everybody in any time period. And somehow... Nas knew that in Illmatic, and there's nothing that he says on there that dates that. I'm trying to think. There's nothing on that album that dates that. Like, he doesn't sit there and talk about, you know, what was, you know, individuals that were popping in 94, right? With a metaphor that just sticks to 94. Or it even does something that that you're like, oh, that's old technology or something. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he said tape deck or something like that. You know, people might not know what that is, but you know, that's different. He said something about eating tapes on on New York State of Mind. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get it, but those I like you know, there's going to be moments like that. But I'm just talking about where it just feels like it's like okay, he made this in '98. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the day it's niggas took hours. over, lyrical gangbang. Yeah, that's a lot of great records on the Chronic, man. I mean, I think the Chronic and Doggy style are like. See, but this is what I mean. So, Mike, the Chronic only dates itself on one record, though. The rest of it is timeless themes. The day the niggas took over is the only 
thing that lets you know what year and what time it is. Everything else, it's like you could just put nothing but a G thing on. It's like, what year come out? I don't know, 91, 94, 95, 96. I don't know, you know, because it has that feel. Oh, yeah, he did mention a beeper, too. Thanks, Kay Thompson. Listen, I know Dre is talking about coming out with some new music. And I know we said we were going to do a short show because I, I got some running around to do. We got this event coming yeah, up right. Sunday. Yeah, y'all, y'all got to come through. We'll talk about that real quick, too. But um, Dre has some new music coming out, allegedly, right? And um, are you interested in a new Dr. Dre effort? Actually, Mike, I'm not. I'm not either. I'm just like I say that know, respectfully. No, Love it's not. Dre. It's not a disrespect thing. It's like, but if you don't do, I mean, <clears throat> here's the backside to making us wait too long. It's like we just kind of accept certain things and kind of move on. I've just kind of moved on. It's like, oh, detox coming out. Okay, that's great. Let's see what it sounds like. And you know what? The thing is, he doesn't we, even do enough work lately to even keep me excited. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, time has shown we can live without this. We've it's already gotten Mike. Mike, there was a time. When we literally were like hanging by a thread about detox, like we had to have detox, we wanted to hear it, we needed to know about it, we want to know who's contributing, who's involved. Yeah. Because by the time, because by the time there was talk of detox, well, Mike, he he literally had a Hall of Fame lineup of people that he had worked with, and it just left you wondering who's gonna be. Is Rockem gonna be on there? Is Nas gonna be on there? Is Jay gonna be on there? Eminem gonna be on there? Exhibit, Snoop, I think the game, like like a whole bunch of people, but. Here's the reality of matter, Mike. Hip hop's gonna survive. Like the doors yeah. of hip hop are gonna open, whether Dre makes detox or not, and that's exactly what happened. I think the Class thing is, is Dre does things like when he drops his albums, it's for a purpose, right? The Chronic launched Death Row Records. Uh, Two thousand one launched Aftermath. Really, you know what I mean? Like M was out there and stuff, but as far as like the culture of Aftermath and what it was about to be. That's what 2001 galvanized and everybody that was on it. And it actually, you know, gave a resurgence to the whole West Coast. So there was a purpose there. I think after 04, there was no longer a purpose for the detox. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think if he would have dropped it around, get rich without trying uh, the documentary type of era, it would have made sense for that next era of aftermath. But after that, it's like... What are we dropping detox for exactly? Well, well, can we go to cinema right quick? Because here's why I don't want to hear it. I don't want no Godfather Part Three. I'm cool with the Godfather Part One and Two. Feel me? Yeah. You know, because because here was the thing, and people forget this. Oh, it was what a fifteen. Hold on, Godfather Part One comes out in 1972. Part Two comes out in 74. Part Three comes out in 1990. I think you missed your shot. Yeah. We missed the shot. Because even if the movie was going to be lower caliber, the people being galvanized probably would have helped carry it. It's like the people aren't going to galvanize detox the way that they were 15 years ago. So it's like, don't Godfather 3 me. Um, Francisco Rodriguez brought up a group that I was going to bring up. He said, would y'all feel the same way about Outcast? I think I have. Like, I feel like I've made peace with the fact that we're never going to get another Outcast album. And, you know, it's been... Let's just keep it real. It's been 20 years, 21 years now, excuse me, since we got a real Outkast album. And yes, I've been able to live without that. And so, yeah, I'm I'm fine with not getting another Outkast album because it's not going to happen. I'm not, but only for one reason. 
I do think that they're the greatest rap group of all time still, Mike. But I never said that they were clearly the best rap group of all time. I never said that it wasn't close. I never said that there wasn't people that was comparable that deserved to be that way. But a great fifth album by them would make it definite. And it's not definite, definite because of that. And so that's why I would want to hear it, because it needs to be a lock and key kind of moment to separate themselves truly. And so that would be the reason that I would want to hear it. And only for that reason, just for historical context and perspective, because Mike, just like Mike, and here's what I'm saying. When we did that mock versus, and I was like, I'm cool with taking mob deep. Well, I still felt like Outcast was the greatest group of all time, but I felt like I could beat you with mob deep. And Why that's what I'm like talking Outcast? about. A fifth album would help separate some of those moments. Like Why I do just, you feel like Outcast is the greatest group of all time? Hip hop. Because I feel like their four albums together, their first four albums, Southern Playalistic, AT Aliens, Equimini, and Stankonia, mm-hmm. is the best four album body of work that you will find from any group. Go pick any other group's top four albums or four albums, and, and they take it. But a fifth album would be nice to make it more definite because everybody else that's in that conversation has more material, Mike. What we be saying about Big and how it's unfair because of the material that other people that are just as great as done. And so now all this time has gone on. Well, how fair is that the day long? How fair is that the trial? How fair is that the mob beat? Man, then says, how are they the best hip hop group ever, Coop? Based on what? So you're basing it on catalog and you're basing it on that four album run. I yeah, I mean, that- I mean but Mike, Mike, in that catalog though, are great songs and MC. I'm not just saying that like it's just the albums. It's like, no, 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 there's classic songs, there's classic singles, there's classic rhymes. You're going to be hard-pressed to find an actual group, Mike, with two better MCs. I'm going to be real. I'm going to be real. The growth, um, the the continuous elevation, and like you said, just the MCing ability from the two members in there, the musicality, um, you know, just their ability. Wu-Tang has a better set of MCs, Mike. Wu-Tang. Well, I mean, we're talking about two versus two. Right. But all I'm saying is, Mike, Mike, we can go to... (laughs) We can go to two, three, four, five man combos. Nobody has two MCs like that in their group except Outkast. Would you say? Would you say that? And I'm just playing devil's advocate here for some of our East Coast fans out there. Would you say that as MCs, Dre and Big are better MCs than Jada and Styles? Ooh. Or Ghost and Ray. Because the thing bar, is, bar for bar, no, Mike, but that's when the records start coming into play because it's like, how about this? Benzo or Bima, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Ain't no thing. Elevators, over the wood. Like they, they keep on doing it together like that, though, Mike. They keep on doing it together like that. Mike, Carlos says, Ghost and Ray smash cast. Okay. Huh? What did he say? He said, uh, Ghost and Ray smash Outcast." No, 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 not smash. But I, I told you, everybody know how I feel about Ghost and Ray, so I'm not even going to get into all that. But also, too, like I said, Mike, we're talking about two, three, four, five-man collectives that would take Ghost and Ray out of this. Well, I guess the point of me even bringing that up is the fact that when you have two people in the group, you do have less room for error, right? Um, so I don't know if I want to judge it based on the power of the strength of MCs that are in the collective when it's just two. I mean, you know Mike, I mean? and if you really want to call it, I mean, you can go pull up the rhymes from the Locks' best four albums and put them next 
to the Outcast best four albums. Like we can play that game. You're not gonna feel good. Listen, I, I think the records because the records not gonna be as strong. That's what I'm saying. So it's like Styles and Jada bar for bar. Are they better? Yeah. Is that gonna play out track after track? Nope. Mm. No, because if so, Mike, because if so, Mike, we'd already be talking about the locks the way we talk about Outkast. It's actually the fact that they don't have what Outkast has, which is countless classic albums and countless classic songs. You know what Steph Curry said last night when he broke the three-point record? He said, I now feel comfortable with saying that I'm the best three-point shooter of all time. I couldn't say it before I actually got the record, and I feel like with Cass, I'm with you. I need a fifth album. I mean, I do to be definitive with this. Yes, yeah, because like, all these people that are saying this stuff. Even with the four album run, which was incredible, we have people from that era that are still putting out quality material, and that's one thing as a collective that they haven't shown us that they can do, and that that means a lot at this point. I mean, yeah. you I you mean, had no, a like, great like, run, great run. Like Jada and Styles as MCs, like they're phenomenal, Mike. They don't have a project that's even fucking with Outkast's first three albums. They don't. Outkast albums, you know, they like 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 their best album would be compared to Stank On You. The other three albums aren't even in the conversation because they are clearly greater than. Well, what do you think about Mob Deep when it uh, as it relates to that? Album for album. Um, where, where would you rank? Locks do. Okay, so Kumanat's better than everything Mob Deep ever made. Now, what's next when it comes to if See, you're ranking the albums of Mob right. Deep and Outkast and putting them together? You got a Kumanat at the top. And, and then, then you the go infamous, to the infamous. You go to the infamous right. from there? Go to the infamous then from what's there. Next? That's what I'm saying. Southern Playalistic? Probably Southern Playalistic. And then Hell on Earth, Mike. Hell on Earth is better than AT Aliens? We can call it a tie because I would go to AT Aliens right after, but it's the same thing. You know what I'm saying? Same level. I, th- I consider both of those albums to be four and a half, so I would call that a tie between Hell on Earth. Is Murder Music Aliens. better than um, uh, Stankonia? And there's where they win. That's what I'm saying because Murder Music's not better than Stankonia, but there are some real highlights on there. Like There's no quiet storm on Stankonia, and so there's an argument. You see how the argument's valid? I think that's where, where Cass is weaker in in that area and i felt like that with tribe right like i feel like tribes big songs are just better records than than cass's big songs but i think cass's b-sides are better than tribes b-sides i mean as a group outcast and the locks do the best b-side stuff we're talking b-side stuff those two groups do the best b-side stuff because i feel like you know when you talk about tribe songs like jazz or um can Damn. i kick it in um um bonita uh award tour uh electric relaxation these are heavy records man like i love rosa parks and stuff but they ain't fucking with those uh it's just not to me no it's not i mean some of those outcast records are in my opinion but i get what you're saying it's just like Oh no, like Southern Playlist and Cadillac Music? No, that's fucking with it. Elevators? No, that's fucking with it. They I don't, got I don't think those records so are, I don't think those records are better than Electric Relaxation or Award Tour. Ooh, not better than Award Tour. Award Tour is one of the best rap songs ever. I think Scenario and the Scenario remix, I mean, like how, how, how about different. this? Like 
Very few groups have an award tour. Award tour is a Shook Ones type level song. Shook Ones Part Two, award tour, that's the same level, just different ways of getting the job done. That's the same level. It's that type of epic record. Yeah. It's beautiful. So Outcast can have that. That's what I'm saying. But Mike, Outcast has about 40, 50 records that are just frighteningly good, and nobody else can say that. But what I'm saying is, is that it would play so much better if it was, oh, well, these dudes got about 60 songs like that, 70 songs like that. It makes it less of a discussion. Jamar says, Outcast classic talk, I never comprehended. I guess to each his own. Um, you know, I think the thing is with Cass, and when we think about Mob Deep and we think about Tribe, I was just talking to my man Damaris about this uh, yesterday, actually. I think the fact that Cass transitioned from album to album, it was a strength in many ways, but it also alienated certain fans, right? It's like they, oh, they don't have a pocket they can comfortably go to like Tribe does or like they or like Bob like, does. Um, yeah. Like the locks. No, exactly. they don't have a comfortable It's like pocket. people know them from different things. So you like them for different things and then it makes their catalog seem a little bit lighter than it is. Mike, it only makes it seem lighter when you put them up against somebody comparable like I did with Mob Deep when we did that Mob versus it's like, well, okay, what you got from Give Up the Goods, Shook Ones, Quiet Storm, Survival of the Fittest. Hell on Earth, it's mine. Night, like you know, because because they're in their pocket and they made classics in their pocket. And so when you start running around those classics in their pocket, and you're over here jumping all around the place because you jump album to album around the place, yeah, it makes it seem lighter than what it is. Yeah. You would need another album or two worth of work. Jmar says Tribe, um, Low End, and Midnight, and Mob. The infamous Hell on Earth are better than any Outcast album. Uh, K. Thompson says, I prefer Tribe over Cast. That is ridiculous um, outside of the low end theory plane. Like what you're saying is ridiculous because of Quim and <laughs> That is ridiculous what you're saying. The only, the, only, the only one of those albums that you named that even deserves to be like in the conversation with the Quim and I is the low end theory. And I actually prefer the infamous to the low end theory. I'm just speaking objectively. You know, no. Uh, Side says, uh, why did Speaker Box go Diamond? Dope album, but Diamond? Uh, I mean, hey, y'all, is why. <laughs> Two words. Hey, y'all. Yeah, um, Junior uh, C-Mac says, the infamous is a five-mic album. Uh, yes. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that pocket, means a, that pocket means a lot. I think when it comes to hip-hop fans... I think when it comes to hip-hop fans, diversity and versatility can hurt you to some degree. And again, no. we talk about what Wu-Tang is about, right? What's the identity of Wu-Tang? Like, into the 36. That shit. The grimy shit. If they were to go out there and do something, well, what they did with Wu-Tang forever, they polished the sound up a little bit. It wasn't the same for some people. And see, this is what Outkast did every time out. It was like Southern Playlistic, they hadn't really found themselves. And it was kind of relying on organized noises, uh, you know, backdrops and blueprint, right? I think they found themselves on AT Aliens, but that was kind of like a boom bap album for them. Very, very East Coast influence, wouldn't you say, production-wise? And then Akumana, which I feel like is the album that kind of encapsulates who they are as a group, and they kind of really start finding themselves as individual MCs and as a group. And they were able to make this masterpiece. But then the next time around, they did something totally different. 
and they sounded kind of separate, and then it was over. I feel like if they could have given us two more efforts in the chamber of Akumana, I think that people might feel different in that way. But when you like, it's funny when you lived it. It's it's exciting when you lived it because it's like, oh, what are they going to do this time? What are they going right. to do this time? But when you look at it in retrospect, it's like, shit, I feel like I got a different act each album. And when you put that up against other acts who gave you the same act each album, it makes their stuff feel like it's a little lighter than it is. Right. And so here's what they would have to do. And here's what I feel like that you wouldn't do. And they're probably the only all-time great group that would have to do this. Oh, they win with their rap shit, actually, Mike. And so they need not play their bigger records. They need, like, in outcasting yeah. those battles against those groups, they need to play Benz or Abima. They yeah. need to play Ain't No Thing. They need to play Hootie Who. They need to play Spaghetti Junction. They need to play Over the Woods. They need to play Two Dope Boys in the Cadillac. They got rap shit on every album. They need to pull their rap shit from every album, not the hit shit. You it's, feel me? Yeah. They need to play the rap shit, not the hit shit, because their hit shit kind of isn't core rap shit. But they got hip-hop records, Mike. They do? And they That's why I'm a fan. That's why no, I'm a fan. I already know how we feel. I'm just Benzo Bima's my favorite outcast song. Somebody that thinks they're the greatest group of all time, going out against Mob Deep and Tribe and playing your biggest singles against their biggest singles. Oh, that's a quick way to lose. But play Benzo or Bima. Play Ain't No Thing. Play Hootie Who. Like, play your hip-hop records. When we did our mock verses, man, I felt funny even putting Miss Jackson on the paper against the mob. You're not going to win with Miss Jackson. Because, Mike, it's like, how about this, Mike? They did about 50 songs together. Miss Jackson's probably, like, the 30th, the 40th best song. Man, look, we got to continue this conversation Friday or something, man, because we weren't even supposed to be on this long, but y'all stayed in the room, and so we just got to talking. Um... Because I got to head to the post office, man, and, and ship out some of these, according to hip-hop trivia games. You know, people been ordering them like crazy. We got the trivia games out there, and uh, we'll put the link in the bio and all that stuff. And Yeah, uh, I, I actually shipped out some Crafts by Cooper stuff before we did the podcast. That was my motion today. I went early. Yeah, man. So, yeah, these are great stocking stuffers. Uh, we can go on, according to hiphop.com and and purchase them as well but yeah we got the event coming up this sunday i gotta run around and get stuff going for that so if anybody's in atlanta come holler at us uh we're gonna be broadcasting live from there we're gonna be showcasing some people's businesses and playing some music probably playing some trivia there too and yeah just kicking it man for more information just hit us if you're in the atlanta area come through sunday yeah, yeah, and the kickback is the give back. So bring, you know, perishable goods, donations, clothes, blankets, anything to give give to people in the yeah, city yeah. I mean, during this time of year. Yeah, definitely. We'll be collecting blankets for the homeless and, um, you know, canned foods, toys, if you will. We'll make sure they get to the right places. But I want to continue this conversation, man, but it's uh, 427 here on the East Coast. Yeah, you got to go. So, yeah, I got to uh, run to the post office. You know how it is in the holidays. We're going to holler on Friday, and we're going to have a great show on Friday as well. I think some, I think Love the Genius is dropping, but we'll keep everybody updated on some new music. Click the button. Subscribe to the page. Mike, speaking yes. of love, Toonchi's one of the five best rap records this year. You sent that to me as well, yes. Like Coop said, go to According to Hip Hop uh, on YouTube. Subscribe to the channel. Click the bell icon so you'll know when we're going live. And we're going to go live Friday. We're going to talk some more of this hip-hop shit.